Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's Tony Stringer and I'm a Managing Director in Fitch's Global Sovereigns Group. I'm joined today by Brian Colton, our Chief Economist and Lead Author of Fitch's Global Economic Outlook Report, the latest edition of which has just been published. As a direct consequence of the rapidly developing impacts of the COVID-19 crisis on the global economy, you can expect more frequent updates to our forecasts and macro analysis over the coming weeks. Well, Brian, they say that a week is a long time in politics, which must mean that two weeks is an eternity in economic forecasting, at least against the backdrop of the current crisis. We published the previous GEO as recently as the 19th of March, since when the world seems to have changed beyond all recognition, culminating in huge downward revisions to our forecasts published in the latest update on the 2nd of April. Are you able to put into context for us the sheer scale of those revisions in historical terms? There's never been anything like this, quite frankly, certainly not in peacetime. Economists have never had to cut forecasts by so much, so quickly, since macroeconomics came into being as a discipline. The speed with which economic activity is declining is simply unbelievable. We now think that GDP has declined by 20% in countries that have gone into lockdown. And that's happened in the space of just two or three weeks. In the US Great Depression, we also saw US GDP decline by 20%. But that took three years, between late 1929 and autumn 1931. If we compare our December 2019 forecast for this year with our latest update, we've knocked over $3 trillion off of the level of global income. So the forecasts are still showing something of a V-shaped recovery, notwithstanding the unprecedented speed and scale of what we are predicting to be a deep global recession in 2020. But one key question for investors will be how much confidence do you have in the baseline forecast? And how do you see the balance of risks around the expected recovery in 2021, particularly given the dramatically weaker unemployment numbers coming out of North America? There are very high levels of uncertainty surrounding any forecast at the moment, not least because we don't know what path the virus itself is going to take. Best we can really hope for is to try and put some scale on the immediate economic shock as events unfold. But I would say that the bigger uncertainty relates to the depth of the downturn rather than the likelihood of an increase in activity after lockdowns are removed. A longer than assumed lockdown, say eight or nine weeks at the peak stringency instead of five to six weeks, would see 2020 GDP fall by an additional two percentage points versus our baseline forecasts for Europe and the US. The unemployment figures that we are seeing are truly shocking, but they're not really inconsistent with our view that GDP has fallen 20% in real time. Job market data is a real-time indicator of the economy, and if GDP is down 20%, then a 5 to 10% decline in jobs is not really unreasonable. Now, an economic recovery of some sort is quite likely after the lockdown ends, but how fast depends crucially on how much collateral damage is done in the, in the interim, specifically how much unemployment increases, how much disattachment there is from the labour market uh, as people lose their jobs, and how many firms go bankrupt. If all these things happen uh, on a huge scale, then the problem is when you remove the lockdown, there are great big chunks of the economy that really just can't get, can't get back to work. And that's essentially what policymakers are trying very, very hard, macro policymakers are trying very, very hard to avoid. Adding all this up and trying to weigh all this together, the policy response, the the risk of collateral damage, we come up with our forecast that we don't see the level of GDP recovering to where it was before the virus 
until the end of 2021. But that's on our baseline forecast. If we see a deeper near-term recession, then that date is going to be postponed even further. Since we last spoke, global policymakers have continued to roll out fiscal and monetary stimulus measures on an almost daily basis. But governments have also been implementing increasingly draconian lockdown measures to try to stem the spread of the virus. It looks a bit like an extreme version of a stop-go policy stance, but how do you assess the likely effectiveness of these two major pillars of the policy mix? And what are the potential weaknesses? Well, the health crisis is obviously public policy priority number one, no doubt about that. The role of macro policy here, I think, is twofold. Firstly, to minimise that collateral damage that I mentioned as the shock unfolds. And secondly, to speed up the return of the economy towards normality once the crisis is over. In terms of minimising the collateral damage, it's mainly about job losses and bankruptcies. And this, I think, is where the employment subsidy schemes and the credit guarantee schemes are quite well designed to try and sort of help bankroll the private sector through the shock. Higher public spending and liquidity from central banks is, should also help to limit the negative multipliers that would naturally otherwise take place as banks become more cautious, firms and households start to retrench. Now, in terms of the recovery post-crisis, this, I think, is where the size and speed of the response will actually make quite a big difference. In many ways, we've seen a more rapid and more aggressive response from policymakers than we saw in 2008. And I think it is big enough to make quite a big difference to the post-crisis recovery path. Last time, we talked about the need to monitor what's happening in China, given that they are some way ahead of us in terms of the trajectory of the virus and appear much closer to emerging from lockdown. What are the high-frequency indicators telling us about the path of the Chinese recovery? And how do you see the developed market's recession impacting China in the second half of 2020? I think we can conclude from the China data that activity should rise quite substantially on a sequential basis once lockdowns are eased. We've seen this in China in the PMI surveys that have been released for March, which actually show the classic V-shaped recovery from February. And we're seeing it in the daily indicators like coal consumption by power, power companies. We're also seeing shopping malls, restaurants fill up again in China. But the path back to normal does seem to be taking quite a bit longer than we thought even a few weeks ago. We take daily coal consumption, for instance. The latest data is still 10% down on what we saw at this time in late March, early April 2018 and 2019. And of course, the recovery in China is now going to be hit pretty hard by what's happening in the rest of the world. It's a pretty open economy in terms of the share of exports in GDP. So this is one of the reasons why we're now expecting growth in China to be sub 2% in 2020 as a whole. Finally, a lot of the focus of our attention is currently on the impact of the crisis on developed markets, as evidenced by the huge GDP downgrades you've just published. But how do you see the impact playing out in emerging markets, even if they manage to avoid the level of infection rates we are seeing in the West? In many ways, emerging markets outside China looks like the next shooter drop in terms of the global economic downturn story. Emerging markets are facing a formidable set of external shocks right now. This includes the slump in global demand, the decline in commodity prices and capital outflows, which on the portfolio side at least, look a lot worse than we saw in 2008-2009. We've also seen a strong appreciation of the US dollar, which will make servicing dollar debt more expensive in local currency terms in emerging markets and be an additional headwind for growth. All these external shocks are now being compounded by the coronavirus challenges faced in emerging markets themselves. We've seen both India and Russia implement significant lockdown policies in the recent weeks. 
We don't actually anticipate any GDP growth at all this year in emerging markets ex China, despite this group of countries having a very high potential growth rate on average. Good example here is India, where we're now expecting growth of just 2% in 2020. This compares to our estimate of potential growth in India of 7%. Thanks for those insights, Brian, and thank you for listening. You can access the 2nd of April edition of our Global Economic Outlook report, along with our other sovereign and economics research on Fitch's website. We hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.